You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. As a prisoner, or excuse me, let me begin in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Well, this weekend is Old Home Days in Enfield. Uh, and as a resident, I've been getting emails for weeks now on everything that's happening this coming weekend. So I could tell you I know what some of the events are. Uh, I know there's a cornhole tournament right now. Uh, so I know that. Um, and yes, I could even tell you some of the names of people who have been on the committees, because I look at the emails and I can see who's organizing all of this. Yesterday, Heather and I had a chance to kind of, on our walk, go down to the center of town, watch the parade go by. But I think anyone who is there would realize I was a spectator. I, I didn't participate. Even though I could tell you what the schedule basically looks like, I could tell you who some of the people are who are involved in it, but clearly I was a spectator, standing on the outside, watching others participate. Well, we're coming to the end of our series on the Holy Spirit. And it got me thinking about how come when we come to following Christ that really there isn't an option to be a spectator. That what God calls us to be are participants. And in particular, participants in the body of Christ. So look with me at Ephesians chapter 4. Once again, we find ourselves in the beginning of the application section of this letter, which is from chapters 4 through 6. And, and I think we're going to see here in verses 7 through 16 three reasons why every Christian should see themselves as being called to be a participant in the body of Christ. Uh, and so notice, as I said, we're in the application section. Uh, you may have noticed that if you read the entire section, 1 through 16, not once does Paul use the word church. 
And yet I'm going to argue that we know he's talking about the church because of two other words he uses. He speaks of the body of Christ, and then he speaks of Christ as being the head. And so by logical reasoning, he is talking about the church. And he is talking about believers who make up that church. And there's an easy way to remember sort of the flow of verses 1 through 16 by three words. Um, it begins with the thought of unity. So in verses 1 through 6, he, he drives home that there's one body, you know, one baptism, one faith. But then you notice in verses 7 and following, he shifts to now dealing with diversity. And diversity, not as our world coins that word, but, but talking about the differences within that unity that marks the church. And then he'll conclude verse 16 by coming back around to what he said in verse 1 about the unity of the church. And so here's the first reason I'm, I'm convinced that Paul is saying every believer needs to see themselves as a participant in the body of Christ. And that reason is simply the distribution of God's grace. You know, what does it mean when we talk about the distribution of God's grace? Well, look at me at verse 7. And as I mentioned, the first six verses, he emphasizes unity. But you'll notice right away in verse 7, he says, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. In other words, now he turns the camera inward and says, let's talk about what each believer has received. And that is they have received the grace of God. To each one of us, grace has been given. And I think we're all acquainted with a familiar definition of grace. It's unearned, unmerited favor. But are there different types of grace? that we can refer to. So, for example, is Paul merely praising God and saying, well, well, now as a believer, you're in the body of Christ, and we're thankful for the grace of salvation. Well, I think that's absolutely true. We, we should be tremendously indebted to Christ for the gift of salvation, something all of us did not merit, we did not earn it, but we desperately needed it. But is that the grace that Paul has in mind here? Well, look closely at verse 8, because he says, God has distributed this grace to us. But then notice in verse 8, he pulls out a reference from the book of Psalms. And in talking about this grace, he, he uses Psalm 68, when it says here, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Clearly, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul is saying Psalm 68 somehow connects with this distribution of grace that he's referring to. And that distribution is not, in this case, our salvation in Christ, as great as that is, but it's out of that salvation we have received spiritual gifts. The context of Psalm 68 is Israel is giving a summary of how God has given them victory in different battles. So they are victors. God has delivered them. 
And typically in, in war and in battles, the result of the battle, even with God's people, is resources that you take from the enemy. And, and these resources are often collected by the army. And then as you returned home and people lined the streets, uh, you would often throw these out to the crowd. Much like all of us know that every year during a home day parade, what do people throw out? Candy. Like here, here's kind of something for you to enjoy. Uh, and I always feel bad about tackling young children, but I do get my candy. But, but the picture there is, look at, look at what comes out of that victory. So that's why Paul goes to Psalm 68 when he's talking about God's grace that he has poured out on us. He's really referring to spiritual gifts. And we read a little further, and we definitely know that because of where his conversation turns. But again, look, look with me at verse 7. Just to the last part of the verse, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now we come to that reality. If the body of Christ has this unity, but now we're talking about a distribution of spiritual gifts. And we'll kind of define that to, to give us a firm basis of what we're talking about. Then the thought being here is those gifts are different. Just like our personalities are different. Our backgrounds are different. But notice what Paul wants to emphasize. This distribution of grace is an act of sovereign grace. God determines what gift or gifts you have in Christ Jesus. You don't determine that. You may sometimes think you'd like a certain ability or gift. And maybe you admire that. You see it in someone else. Maybe sometimes, sadly, we almost get envious of those who have some kind of ability in the church that we don't have. But Paul says, realize with this distribution of grace, not only does God know what he's doing, but, but he has apportioned that according to his perfect will. What a reminder to us that we should rejoice in this grace that's been given, but, but appreciate and value the gifts of others in Christ's church, as well as be motivated to use the gifts that he specifically has apportioned, assigned to you in Christ Jesus. Well, let me give you, there are lots of definitions about what is a spiritual gift. Uh, and, and there's a distinction here. A spiritual gift is not a talent. So, for example, someone who's not a Christian has talent. Maybe they can play a musical instrument. Maybe they're uh, just a very organized person. Uh, that's not a spiritual gift. Now, God can take your talent and use that as a vehicle for your spiritual gift. Everybody has some talent or ability. A spiritual gift specifically refers to a, an empowerment by the Holy Spirit given to a believer so you can serve in the church according to God's will. So sort of think about that. It's, it's a spiritual gift. It's an empowerment by God's Spirit that enables you 
to serve in Christ's church according to God's will. So if you are not a Christian, you do not have a spiritual gift. You may have talents, you may have abilities, but you don't have the spiritual gift. I glance down at verses 9 and 10. As Paul now brings into that equation this next statement, uh, what does he ascended mean except he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And you may notice in some translations, they put that in a parenthesis, sort of saying this is to explain why he picked Psalm 68. In other words, this is a note here explaining on the inspiration of the Spirit, how does this all connect? And so if we're talking about spiritual gifts, the reason they're called spiritual gifts is their divine empowerments. And they come to us through the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit's ministry is because of the ministry that Christ accomplished through Christ's death and resurrection. So as you look at verses 9 and 10, this ascending and descending, there are two common interpretations of this among Christians. One is that this is referring to what happened after Jesus' death. So in other words, Jesus died on the cross, and then some Christians hold that then he descended into hell for three days to bear the punishment of our sin, to pronounce his victory, and then on Sunday morning, he rose again. And this verse is sometimes used to say, well, well that's what Paul's referring to. A second view, uh, and the, the one that I personally think is a little more consistent, that this is referring to Christ, not what happened after his death on the cross, but his descending from heaven to take on flesh, to be our Savior. And then after his death, he rose victoriously immediately into the Father's presence, by which we now have these gifts of the Spirit given to us. So in, in light of all of that, we're, we realize here, these gifts are not something owed to us. They are not something we can demand of God, like, I want this gift. I, I don't like the one I have. But they are given according to God's grace to every believer in every church. Which is a way of kind of saying, you are a unique component of Christ's church. You're not just made in his image, but he's gifted you specifically for the people and other believers he has placed around you. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 12. And in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is also talking about spiritual gifts. And as we kind of compare these, I would encourage you on your own, certainly feel free to read through the complete list of spiritual gifts. So, for example, in Ephesians 4, he only mentions a few gifts. Romans 12, he has a little bit longer list. 1 Corinthians 12, he has another list. And then we'll reference a verse later on from 1 Peter 4, where he includes some other gifts. But look with me at 1 Corinthians 12, 
And listen to verse 11. Paul says, all these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he gives them to each one as he determines. And if you were just to back up and glance at verse 7, he starts talking about spiritual gifts. And he lists some other gifts. And then he says, again, remember, these God gives to each one as he determines. So the first reason that we should all view ourselves as Christians, as participants, not spectators, is because of the distribution of God's grace. But let's go back to Ephesians 4 and consider the second reason. And that is Paul reminds us of the diversity of God's grace. So diversity speaks of differences. What, what are the various forms this gift of spiritual graces and gifts looks like? Well, in Ephesians chapter 4, notice verse 11. He says it was he, and he had just talked about Jesus Christ in verses 9 and 10. It was Christ who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Now notice it says it was he who gave these, which right away would tell us our response to whatever gift or gifts you have should be humility. Again, it was given to you. But notice as you let that kind of sit in, he mentions some very foundational gifts here. Uh, and as I was saying, you have all these different lists. If you were to compare them, uh, there's differences between all of them. So some gifts are mentioned in two places. Some are only mentioned in one place. And that's probably to remind us that I don't think we should read the list as being an exhaustive list. Like they're, they're meant to be a big umbrella for us. Here, here's a wide selection of, of how in Christ you can serve in your church. But there may be other facets that, that are not listed because it would take too long to list all the different ways. But they give us a good grasp. And you see in Ephesians 4, Paul just mentions three very foundational ones, prophet, apostles, prophets, and evangelists. And we can discuss another time, you know, are some of these gifts that we're no longer needed now because of the completion of the scriptures. Uh, and I think there's good evidence for that. But he's giving us foundational gifts. Earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul said, the foundation of the church is the teaching of the apostles and prophets. So he lays that groundwork, but then you notice in addition right here, he does mention pastors and teachers. So I think that gift would just say to us, well, of course, a, a church needs a pastor, a teacher. But that should say to us, well, if, as much as it needs a pastor and a teacher, does it then also need the exercising of the other gifts according to how God proportions, and displays them. And so what we can see now in this diversity of the gifts is that every believer has at least one spiritual gift. You, you may have more than one, but no believer has all of the spiritual gifts. 
So unlike the fruit of the Spirit, which should be evident in every Christian, and increasingly every fruit should be on display. When you get to the spiritual gifts, it is not that there's a Christian who has all of these. Because again, remember the context. In a church, there's a complementary nature. All the gifts are interworking to benefit the church. I will never forget once uh, a class, I don't think I was teaching it, I might have been, but it was with some, uh, it was one or two young newlyweds in the class. We're talking about spiritual gifts. And every time we mentioned a gift, the, the young wife would say, oh, my husband has that. Oh, my husband has that. And, you know, you get to a point where now, you know what, as much as you love your husband, he can't have all the gifts because that's not what Scripture teaches. So when you think of the diversity of the, the gifts, what this means is then, again, think personally. You as a believer have at least one gift, and it is equally important to the health and ministry of your church. So even though Paul in Ephesians only mentions a couple of these foundational gifts, pastor, teacher, if you read all of the lists, they're not in a specific order. It's not like Paul's ranking them and says, you know what, this is like the best gift to have. And then at the bottom, you get to the end, you're like, oh, no, if I have this gift, I'm like less important. And yet we know because of our sinful natures, we, we tend sometimes to rate different gifts and abilities. And somehow to think, well, my role in the church isn't as important. It's not as significant. Uh, no, it is. It's equally as important as my role in this church. Is it different than my role? Absolutely. But God hasn't called you to fill my gift. He's called you to use the gift or gifts he's given you. Well, let's turn now to the third reason, and that is the display of God's grace. And Paul unfolds this for us in, in quite some detail in verses 12 through 16, where now he sort of expands on this. You know, what is the purpose of these gifts? Uh, and so notice in verses 12 and 13, a very familiar passage. These gifts are given. Why do you have pastors and teachers in your church? And, and we could include all the gifts it's true of. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So notice that one of the purposes Paul unfolds, and it's sort of couched in one major purpose, but is simply equipping and serving. Like this is why the gifts are given. This is why you have teachers, so that we may learn about these things, but then serve through the gifts and abilities. And you notice the wording there to, to equip for works of service, to NIV has to prepare, literally to, to fit for service, to, to qualify you to serve. So even though you do not get to pick what gift you want, that that's sovereignly assigned, your gifts can be perfected and strengthened. So for example, uh, you know, when, when I you know, knew the Lord was calling into ministry, well, what do you need to do to prepare for that? Well, you need to go to Bible school. You need to get training. 
I'm constantly looking at how to prepare and perfect more my sermons, my sermon delivery, my sermon preparation. That, that's something we should all want. We want to serve more and more effectively. So notice he says, God's given these gifts, why? Not, not to make us content. Not so we can just look around and see each other and be like, well, this is great. We see each other. We love each other. No major arguments. Uh, see you next week. We'll pick up the same point. Well, no, to, to equip you, prepare you for service that you may build up the body of Christ. And notice you have this word keeps coming up. Unity, maturity, and fullness of Christ in verse 13. Maturity refers to being adult-like. And it's not talking here about like emotional maturity, spiritual maturity. You know, that you're growing in your ability to handle God's word. Uh, that you're growing in your effectiveness in, in how to serve in your local church. How to minister to your brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, Paul's making a straight connection between this is why you have the distribution of God's grace. This is why they're diverse in the graces given to equip, to move us closer to unity, maturity, and fullness of Christ. But then you notice verse 14 and 15, he brings up a, another purpose of these gifts. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful schemings. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up in him who is the head, that is Christ. The effective use of the gifts, not just teaching, but even in spiritual conversation with each other, is to protect us from false teaching. Uh, that we're not going to find ourselves just like a, an infant here, and the, the word infant's a very broad term, means like anyone who's like a child, basically you could say someone who's not an adult, uh, meaning that they lack discernment. That they're sort of so easily influenced and swayed. Uh, and we see so many people today like that in our world, who depending on what they just saw on the internet or who their latest talking head is, that that's just what they believe. And so the effective use of spiritual gifts is, is a means of spiritually helping guard us from that kind of error. But I think a part of the spiritual gifts is we forget they ultimately display God's glory. So it's not just, well, our church will run smoother if everyone's using their gifts. Or we'll no longer have trouble getting people to do nursery because everyone's using their gifts. Now, it is true we should see a place where needs are being met because we're using our gifts, but more than just the pragmatic part. Because if that's all it was, it makes the church look easier, makes all of us feel less overworked. That's a very selfish reason. So you notice in verse 16, Paul, again, puts the emphasis of the display of God's glory and grace from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And that sort of connects with verse 12 when he says, these things are done that the body of Christ may be built up. 
And just notice the connection. If it's Christ's body, and we know that means the church, then if you have the church growing and thriving, doesn't that direct the praise to the head of the church, to Jesus Christ? It's what a picture that Paul presents here. And he's not the only apostle who emphasizes this. Uh, if you'd like to, you may turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, Peter mentions about the need of not being a spectator, but a participant. 1 Peter 4 and verses 4 through 10. It says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking, the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Note how Peter brings that back here in 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11, to say it is all about honoring Jesus Christ. And we could flip that around, then if we don't even know what our gifts are, and we don't even pursue a greater knowledge of what are my gifts and abilities, that we are not honoring Jesus Christ. Because that's consistent in interpreting this. If we can do that and we honor him, if we don't do it, well, we're, we're not honoring him. A number of years ago, there was a story about a guy named Larry Walters. Uh, and you probably never heard that name. You probably never hear it again. Uh, but he lived in California. He, he was an older guy, and he liked to sit in his beach chair and look at the clouds. Well, one day he thought, wouldn't it be neat to fly? And so what Larry decided to do was he'd get a couple of weather balloons, small weather balloons, and attach them to his lawn chair. And he thought, you know, maybe, maybe I'll, you know, go up a little bit. It'll be kind of neat. I feel like flying. Well, Larry underestimated the power of the weather balloons he had. Uh, in a matter of minutes, he was hundreds of feet in the air. In fact, he got so high up in the air that the L.A. airport picked him up on their radar, uh, that they had this unidentified object um, ascending. Well, the story has a nice ending. Uh, rescue workers were called in. They did safely bring him to the ground. <laughs> when they brought him to the ground, they said, Larry, why would you do this? And he said, sometimes you just can't sit there. And I thought, shouldn't that be what we think about in worship? You, you can't just sit there. You can't just sit all week and not be using your gifts, these displays of God's grace, to honor and glorify him. Let's pray. God, you are the giver of all grace. Salvation and saving grace, yes, but also, Lord, the grace of these spiritual gifts. Lord, encourage us, remind us of these things. Let us remind each other that we value the ministry you've given all of us to do in your church. 
In Jesus' name, amen.